Right, we're in a series uh, in the book of Romans, and Romans is all about the gospel of God. And the section of Romans that we're in is showing us how the gospel uh, works in our lives, how we're actually transformed on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so that's uh, where we're at with uh, Romans. So we're up to chapter 6 today, um, verse 15 to um, 23. So if you've got a Bible, have that opened and um, follow along as we read, but also keep it open for the um, sermon itself too. So let's hear um, the Word of God. Romans 6 verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, know that your word uh, is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so we need your word to know uh, which way we should go. Uh, We ask, Father, that as we study this part, uh, that you would open our eyes to see the direction that you are leading us in, uh, that you might lead us more into Christ, that we would know him and know the freedom uh, that comes from being Uh, belonging to him, of being one of his own, of being set free from sin so that we can be free uh, to live for you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Many years ago, I read a book uh, with the title, Respectable Sins. Uh, Respectable Sins. And uh, the point of the book was that often Christians... Uh, aren't too bothered by um, attitudes and behaviours that God clearly calls sin. Uh, So just to give you a sample of some of the um, chapter headings, uh, discontentment, unthankfulness, pride, selfishness, irritability, anger, judgmentalism, and so on. And uh, as you read the book, you realise, actually, it's true we do think of those things as respectable, as you know, not being such of a problem. And uh, as a result, we, we tend to tell ourselves that those things are neither here nor there. 
You know, it doesn't really matter if um, those things are present in your life because, well, they're fairly respectable. They're um, not a big deal. And as a result, uh, practicing contentment, thankfulness, uh, kindness, humility, purity, and so on, often those things are left undone in our lives. Now, the question is, does that matter? Does it matter if we obey God or not? I mean, after all, if, if our obedience isn't what saves us, as Romans has been telling us over and over again, are we then free to go, you know, oh, well, doesn't really matter if we obey God or not? <clears throat> and see, that's the question that Paul is actually dealing with in Romans chapter 6. The question is, does salvation by grace make people unconcerned about sin? Uh, or to put it another way, if God promises to forgive all of our sin through the cross of Jesus, then can we just keep going on sinning? And Paul has already answered this question uh, fully, really, in, in the first half of chapter 6 uh, by telling us that when we become a believer... We are united to Christ so that when Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin, we, in our union with him, died with him to sin and we've risen with him to a new life. See, that's who we are. We, we are people who have been saved from sin, saved for a new life and therefore to go on sinning it actually doesn't fit with who we are anymore doesn't fit with the fact that we are united to Christ. So that's where Paul, he, he's already answered it, but what he does in the passage that we're looking at today is he doubles back because he wants us to see just how powerful the gospel is to transform us. And he does ask the same question again in verse 15 that he asked back in verse 1, but this time there's a subtle shift of emphasis. This time the emphasis falls on the the that Christ has actually saved us for obedience. Okay, we're not just free from sin, but we're actually free for something, for a life of obedience to God. And so that's the question. Verse 15, it goes like this. What then are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? In other words, if we're not under law as a way to get saved, then can we just dispense with the law? Uh, can we um, ignore it? Uh, if, if obeying God's law adds nothing to our salvation, can we just, you know, not worry about it anymore? Well, Paul answers that question in this passage by using the analogy of slavery. And it's a very powerful analogy because Paul actually argues that every single person is a slave of something. And how you live reveals who you're serving. And ultimately, there's only two masters, either sin or God. And so the question is, which one are you serving? And Paul makes three points about that, which we're going to look at in this sermon. Uh, he talks about the reality of slavery in verse 16, and then the experience of slavery in verses 17 to 19, and then last the fruit of slavery in verse 20 to 23. So let's look at those three things. First, the reality of slavery. And uh, the reality of slavery is that everyone is a slave. 
Everyone is a slave to what you obey. So look at verse 16. It says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So you remember the question that Paul's asking is, does obedience to God matter if we're saved by grace? And the answer is, yes, it does matter because how you live actually reveals who your master is. So, for example, if you were someone who goes, look, I'm saved, but I can still live any way I like, well, living any way you like, that's actually a way of talking about sin because that's what the heart of sin is, just living any way you like. Uh, The technical word for that is autonomy. Autonomy is a word that means a law to yourself. And that's really at the heart of um, sin. Sin is autonomy. You know, just want to live my own way. And uh, that that means that someone who continues in autonomy, uh, continuing to live just however you like, that, that might feel like you're free, free to do as you please. But according to verse 16, it's actually a form of slavery. It's slavery to sin. So sin, therefore, would be your master. You're obeying sin by just living any way you like. And uh, Romans has actually shown us that we all start off with sin as our master because we're all born in Adam. In Adam, we're all fallen. In Adam, we all share the same nature, uh, that nature of autonomy, wanting to live our own way. And so by nature, we have a heart that refuses to worship God and serve God, but rather we want to worship and serve created things. Now, that doesn't mean that everything we do is the most evil all of the time. You know, a slave of sin, it sounds like a terrible thing, but a slave of sin just means someone who wants to be the master of their own destiny, someone who wants to decide for themselves how to do things. That's what a slave to sin is. Now, as we've been seeing in Romans, the good news of the gospel is that Christ has set us free from slavery to sin. You're set free. In fact, the word that Romans used back in chapter 3, verse 24, uh, was this word redemption, that Christ's death is our redemption. And that word redemption, it's a special word that actually comes uh, from the slave market back in Paul's day, where a redemption is actually going and paying the price to set a slave free. That's redemption. And Christ has done that. He's paid the price for all of our sin. And as a result, we're set free in him. But what are we set free for? What did Christ set us free for? He set us free to belong to him, to be his own. Uh, Paul actually says in another place, uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Okay, so when Christ sets someone free, it's actually, he's transferring you out from under one master, out of one enslavement, but he's setting you free to belong to a new master, to belong to God. And so it's almost like, you know, those signs you sometimes see on a shop window, under new management, that's what a believer has. You know, the signs on everyone. We're all under new management. We're now, we now belong to the Lord. 
And so believers, here's the good news. You're no longer enslaved to sin. You no longer have to obey sin. Uh, We talked about this last week. Sin still wants to make you obey because sin's still present in our lives. So we still feel the pressure, the temptation, the desires coming from within to give in to sin. Sin still wants to boss us around. But if Christ has set you free, you don't have to listen. You don't have to obey sin anymore because sin is no longer your master. You can tell it to go jump. But we are set free to belong to a new master, a good master, the Lord himself. And so salvation is actually we're saved for a life of obedience. You can't have salvation without a life of obedience. That's what we're saved for. We're not saved by obedience, but we are saved for it. And that is actually a huge theme in the Bible. Right the whole way through, you'll see this all the way through. Uh, Perhaps the most telling example is um, the Exodus. Uh, The Exodus in the Old Testament, that was the event that defined the people of God. They thought of themselves, we are free people. People who were once bound, but now free. And and that's what happened because uh, we read about it a little bit in Exodus, uh, in Egypt. The Israelites, they were enslaved to that cruel taskmaster named Pharaoh. And there was nothing they could do to free themselves. They were absolutely stuck. And yet God powerfully rescued them. He raised up Moses, sent Moses as a rescuer. Moses led them out through that Red Sea. That was their redemption. But the whole point of God rescuing the people of Israel in the book of Exodus is not just to free them so they can go out and live any way they like. No, he saved them to be his own, to to be in a relationship with him, uh, to have him as their God. That's why the book of Exodus doesn't end at the Red Sea crossing. That seems like the climax of the story, but it's not. The whole point is to come where? To Mount Sinai, to enter into this covenant relationship with God and to have God's rules, not as the way to become one of God's people, but because they have been saved, because they are God's people. Now, here is the way to enjoy that. Here's the way to live as one who belongs to God. And that's why the catch cry in the first part of Exodus wasn't, let my people go. The catch cry was actually, let my people go, that they may serve me. That's the purpose of salvation. We're saved for service. Uh, The Israelites, they exchanged one form of service for another one. Or to put it more strongly, and the Bible does this, the Israelites were saved from one form of enslavement for another one, a better form of enslavement, enslavement to God. Now, talking about a relationship with God like that, it sounds terrible, doesn't it? We're now enslaved to God. I mean, slavery, that that sounds horrid. So why would Paul use that analogy to describe our relationship with God now? Doesn't that sound terrible? Uh, Now, that's probably because we're so used to thinking of slavery in the worst possible way. Uh, You know, we're used to the the last few centuries where you've got that race-based oppression, which was absolutely evil, evil in every way. And, uh, you know, we're so thankful that it was overturned and, um, 
But we tend to think of slavery only in that category. And obviously when Paul says we're slaves of God, that's the furthest thing from his mind. He's not saying that God is somehow this cruel taskmaster who just wants to grind you into the ground kind of thing. No, no. In, in Paul's day, actually, slavery was very different to that. Uh, obviously, there was always, there's always cruel slave masters out there, but, but generally speaking, in Paul's day, slavery was more of a contractual arrangement. Uh, it's something that people would voluntarily enter into for reasons such as paying off a debt. But what happened is once someone voluntarily entered into slavery to pay off a debt, it meant that their freedom was now taken away, that they were now totally devoted to their master. Uh, and it was, it was total devotion. It was full-time service. It wasn't something that you would clock on and clock off with. Uh, there was no downtime. There was no me time. Uh, if you're a slave, uh, you, you couldn't pick and choose which commands you followed. Uh, you couldn't say, um, oh, sorry, uh, master, but I've got um, soccer practice on this week or something like that. You didn't have any of that freedom. Slavery was total devotion. And that, of course, meant that you couldn't have more than one master at the one time. Okay, If you're a slave, that's it, one master. Imagine trying to serve two. It doesn't work. Because slavery, by definition, was um, total devotion. And see, that's all that Paul is conveying by using this analogy of slavery to describe our relationship with God. That, that when, you're, when you're brought into a relationship with God, it's not something that you, know, you, you only get involved in uh, when, when you've got spare time. You know, a relationship with God is not something that you just do on you know, a Sunday morning. Or, or a Sunday evening. Uh, it's not something that you only engage in when there's nothing better to do. Uh, obedience to God is not something that you only do when it's convenient or when it suits you. You, know, you. you don't pick and choose which commands of God that you follow and then ignore the rest. And if you are actually living like that, then what does that say? It actually says that God is not your master. Uh, that sin is still your master. You're still trying to live uh, the way you choose. <clears throat> and uh, therefore, you've got to remember, you can't serve more than one master at a time. You can't serve sin and God. That's the point verse 16 is making. And so here's, the bottom line of verse 16 is this. Who you obey reveals who your master is. Okay, if you're living in obedience to sin, just following your heart in that sense, then you're a slave to sin. See, everyone is a slave. The only question is, which master are you obeying? And if Christ has set you free, can you see evidence of that in your life? Do you see obedience to God? Is that evident? See, that's the reality of slavery. No one's free. Everyone's a slave of something. But ultimately, it's either sin or God. So which one are you serving? So that's the reality. Now, the second, though, this passage also tells us the experience of slavery. And the experience of slavery, uh, what we mean by that is, what does it feel like to serve God? 
And what does it feel like to serve sin? And verses 17 to 19 actually tells us, because here Paul contrasts the two. So first of all, what we see is slavery to God, what does it feel like? It actually feels like freedom. It feels like a kind of freedom that actually satisfies you. So look at verse 17 to 18. It says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free, oh, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So here Paul's describing the experience of conversion. And the point he's making about conversion is that it's actually a work of God. Notice how the sentence starts, but thanks be to God. Okay, because conversion is something that God does. Uh, can, can we convert ourselves? Well, think about it. If we were slaves to sin, we can't. We can't obey God's call to repent and believe unless he does something to free us, to enable us to respond. Uh, if we're slaves to sin, we're only ever going to obey that master. And, uh, and, and, but thanks be to God, because what does he do? He frees us. He sets us free from that old master so that we can respond in repentance and faith and embrace Christ as our Lord and Saviour. <clears throat> and so if you have embraced Christ, then you are free. But you're now a slave of righteousness. Now, when God does that to you, when God saves you like that, that actually changes the way you think about obedience to him. Because notice how Paul talks about those who have become obedient from the heart. See, someone who's truly converted is someone who becomes obedient from the heart. And to obey from the heart, it means that it's something you want to do. It's something that you actually deep down want to do. You want to obey God. And that's what happens when you experience God's grace. When you experience his salvation, it gives you a new heart a heart that actually wants to obey, a heart that enjoys obeying. Uh, it, it only comes from grace. Because when you experience God's grace in salvation, that's when you actually come to know God as he really is. Okay, Before that, I'll tell you my own experience, before I was converted, I thought of God as very demanding. And I thought, you know, his commands are a burden. And, you know, you've got to do them or, or he won't like you. And so the thought of obeying him, it just seemed like, you know, oh, I've just got to do this. I've got to get him off my back. But then you realize, no, that's not how you get saved. You don't get saved by keeping his commands. You get saved by grace. God gives salvation as a gift, a free gift at the expense of Christ, obviously, but then that changes everything. Now, now obedience isn't a burden. It's not something I have to do to work off my debt. Now obedience is about gratitude. It's about love. It's about saying to God, thank you. Living for him is now a joy. Living for him now feels like freedom. It's actually enjoyable. You want to obey from the heart. That's the effect of grace. You know, one of Augustine's um, most memorable quotes is that he describes God as the one whose service is perfect freedom. 
How can service be perfect freedom? Well, it is when you know God's grace. It is freedom. And this is something that Jesus often talked about. In John 8, he he said that if you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he said, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Or another way Jesus gets this across, remember that invitation that he gives to those who are weary and heavy laden. And he he invites, come to me for rest. And how does Jesus describe the rest that he gives? He describes it like this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And you go, hang on a minute, a yoke? Do you know what a yoke is? It's like a harness that you put on a, on a horse. That sounds restrictive. It sounds like all of a sudden you're now having to go only where the one in control leads. That sounds restrictive. And yet Jesus says, no, no, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And it's because of this relationship of grace. God's grace makes obedience to him feel like freedom. But it's a freedom that satisfies, a freedom that makes you feel like you're you're running with freedom now. And so one of the ways that you can find out, have you experienced God's grace? Is look at the way you think about obedience to God. Does obedience seem like a burden? Or does it seem like freedom to you? That's how you know you've experienced God's grace. But what about sin? What does it feel like to be enslaved to sin? And, you know, at one level it does feel like freedom. The freedom to live however you like. That seems like freedom. But do you know what? Sin is the ultimate scammer. Because sin always promises freedom. Sin promises satisfaction. But only ever delivers bondage and misery. And you can see that here in verse 19 where Paul contrasts uh, the old life of slavery to sin with um, this new life. So verse 19, he actually says, uh, I'm speaking in human terms, you know, the analogy of slavery is a hard one to understand, but he says, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Now notice that. When you're a slave of sin, lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. Okay, the idea here is of a, it's like a downward spiral. It just, it just keeps getting worse and worse. You get more and more enslaved. Sin is never static. You give in and it just leads to more and more. So sin always produces uh, more sin. And... Uh, <clears throat> You know, I think we all know that in practice, in experience. You know, something that seems very small, very controllable, you give in and what happens? It grows. And that, that becomes a cycle. And eventually what happens is a sin which seems very small and manageable, suddenly it actually becomes very big, takes over, and it then starts to define your very character. It defines who you are. So remember those uh, respectable sins I mentioned at the, at the start, selfishness, impatience, discontentment. I mean, they all seem like small things. 
they seem very respectable. Uh, and yet, if we give in to them, and uh, yeah, every time we give in, what, what is that? One more step toward that thing dominating our character. And one of the most uh, amazing um, statements about this is something written by C.S. Lewis when he described um, grumbling. So grumbling, he, he, he said this, he goes, you begin with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but initially you are still distinct from it. You may even criticise it in yourself and wish you could stop, but there may come a day when you can do so no longer. There will be no you left to criticise the mood or even to enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on and on forever like a machine. See what he's saying? It starts as a grumble, but eventually you become the grumbler. You become the grumble. And that's how all sin works. You know, selfishness. Here's a selfish act. Every time you give in, eventually you become selfish. The sel that selfishness defines you. That's the way sin works. In fact, sometimes sin is likened um, to a tiger. You know, think of a, a tiger. When it's, when it's little, it's very cute. You know, you want to have one as a pet. You want to um, pat it and feed it and play with it. But what happens when you play with it, when you feed it, when you give into it? What happens? It grows and it keeps growing. And one day, it's not you playing with the tiger. It's the tiger playing with you. And when that happens, it's not fun. Okay, it doesn't end well. That's what sin is like. Or sin is likened to an addiction that you can't escape. You give in, it makes a craving for more. And that pattern just keeps going on to the point where you're so stuck and so miserable and there's nothing you can do to get out. That's slavery to sin. That's what it actually feels like in experience. And, you know, interestingly, in verse 19, it actually says that being a slave of righteousness has that same mechanism at work, the same kind of progression, you know, that, that giving in leads to more. But the difference between slavery to sin and slavery, slavery to righteousness is that every time you give in to righteousness, every time you commit to obeying God, that actually leads to, what does Paul say, sanctification. That is growing in personal holiness. And so as you let the gospel motivate your obedience to God, what happens? You're becoming more like Christ in person, in practice. Your character is becoming more like Christ. And the more you grow in that, the more you grow in that. And so verse 19 is actually a command. Did you notice that? Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So that's the command in this passage. What are we supposed to do from this passage? We are to present our members as slaves of righteousness. And the members means every part about you, your hands, your feet, your eyes, your hands, sorry, hands again, uh, your, your, um, your mind, your desires, your will, Every part about you is to be given over 
to who you really are. Because what are you? You're a slave of righteousness. So live that out. Okay, no longer a slave to sin. Don't, don't give all these parts of who you are to sin, but to righteousness. And what does that lead to? Sanctification, growth in personal holiness. See, that's the experience of slavery. It's, you know, one makes you bound and miserable. One leads to freedom that actually satisfies. So we've looked at this, the reality of slavery, which means we're all slaves to what we obey. The experience of slavery, it's only slavery to God that is real freedom. But there's a third thing that Paul talks about, and that is the fruit of slavery. And that's in verses 20 to 23. So again, Paul contrasts the old life with the new life. Okay, The old life of slavery to sin, the new life of slavery to God. And uh, have a look what he says about the fruit of it. So verse 20, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God... The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So you notice how there's a short-term fruit and a long-term fruit in both of these forms of slavery. What's the short-term fruit of of slavery to sin? Shameful practices. What's the long-term fruit? Death. Eternal death. What about being a slave to God? What's the short-term fruit? Sanctification. Hey, become more like Christ. What's the long-term fruit? Eternal life, living forever. In fact, you could actually say that in both of these cases, the long-term has already started because slavery to sin is to live in death, whereas slavery to God is to live in eternal life. See, it's already begun. We're already experiencing it. And then Paul sums it up by a verse that I'm sure many of you can recite um, off by heart, uh, verse 23. But it's interesting to see the context here because it's talking about two forms of slavery. And so when Paul says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, he's contrasting two forms of slavery. And one of them pays what you deserve. The other one doesn't pay what you deserve. One of them gives you exactly what you've earned. The other one gives you the very opposite of what you've earned. See, look, the wages of sin is death. That's saying that sin pays and the payment is death. That's what you get when you line up on payday. Death. That's separation from God forever. But what kind of master is God? He's one who doesn't give us what we deserve. He's one who gives us a gift this gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. See, this is just another way of saying, look at these two masters. Which one do you want to live for? But thanks be to God, you don't, you're not. The power of this passage is you're not a slave of sin anymore, you're a slave of God. Therefore, live it. Okay, this is not telling you you've got to try harder to, to become a Slave of God, because you already are. Christ has set you free. Therefore, live it. So every day when you're tempted, tell yourself, no, I'm not a slave of that anymore. Every day when you feel burdened and uh, under the struggle of sin and, and just the temptation to, 
to think of sin as respectable. Remind yourself of this gospel promise, I am no longer a slave of sin, I am set free by Christ, therefore I can live for God. Okay, You're under a new master, you don't have to give in to the old one anymore. We're free from sin, we're not free to sin. Okay, We're not saved by obedience, we're saved for obedience. That's the way the gospel works. You are free to know the one whose service is perfect freedom. So live that out. That's how the gospel transforms our life. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this uh, reminder of the freedom that we have in Christ. And we thank you also, Father, for reminding us that um, yeah, that sin it does matter. Uh, that's that's not who we are anymore. But we have this this wonderful freedom, a freedom to be able to serve you, and to know you personally, Lord, and to know you as as uh, a God of grace, a God who doesn't give us what we deserve, but gives us this wonderful gift of salvation. Lord, we pray that you would uh, help us to see this more clearly. Uh, but not just here um, in this moment, Father, but help us to take this uh, into our week and where we do struggle, where we are uh, still um, battered and tempted by sin, we pray, Lord, that this would be the, the truth that we cling to, that in Christ we are set free. And we pray that we would experience um, that freedom for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.